Hello, welcome back to Anime in the Sea to Sky. You'd think at this point I would have been able to at least procure a relatively even schedule, but at this point in time, as long as I feel like I can get at least an episode every two weeks or so, and even those out to the rest of that point, I can hopefully get that to something a little more consistent. Although, since it's been not too long since I recorded the previous episode, there were still a couple of pieces of news. But now, at this point, there's not really much of a reason for me to talk too much about the new shows of the season, considering that there's not really a lot, at least by comparison to the previous one for the amount of shows that I've been watching. Because, at least from last season's 11, I'm only down to 5, which is, to be fair, a little more average to the rest of it, but it's just going to be continuing to climb, especially when we lead into the fall of 2023, but we'll get to that at some other point. At least in the past week, we ended up getting a release timeline for what, how, and when we're going to be getting Hayao Miyazaki's final film, which has been officially translated to the West as The Boy and the Heron, which to me I thought was incredibly fucking ridiculous, considering that you have a man who, look, let's be honest, Miyazaki is probably going to make another film after this, but... He's definitely one of those guys that consistently goes through and tries... He's, he's just going to be animating until he croaks. Which you can kind of give a little bit of respect out of that, but I don't necessarily know if that's the healthiest. But uh, besides that, this one in particular had a really good theming for its title, which was How Do You Live? And for somebody who is now way past the twilight of his career and what is assumed going to be his last film... How Do You Live honestly just seems like an incredibly poetic end to somebody's filmography for the amount of work that they've made over the past 40 years. Or 50 years, now that I think about it. But in this case, we know that we're going to be getting a North American theatrical release before the end of this year, since just last week it ended up making its uh, Japan debut through the rest of it in a handful of cities, as well as in some IMAX releases as well. So outside of that, Really curious to see how this is going to turn out towards the end of the year, but um, yeah, there are going to be expectations, as with every other Miyazaki work, but at the very least, I'm not necessarily looking for it to be more poignant or entertaining, just something that he can consistently be proud of in the midst of all the work that he's done in his own timeline. And very recently, at least in anime senses, we ended up getting a second season announcement for Sabakui Bisco. Which, to put it lightly, was just a really entertaining post-apocalyptic romp about shrooms. Or, in this case, mushroom guardians, who can just make mushrooms with the tips of their specific arrows that they go through, and to top it all off, they are incredibly shredded and freaks of nature. But, to be fair, that training and that friendship ends up going and rubbing off on a buddy of his, Pau, who was... A mushroom doctor in the middle of this post-apocalypse so it was just really entertaining towards the end of the day on how the rest of this show was going to turn out and to be fair even though the series that it was adapting had more story to give after the end of the first season the fact that we're still going to be able to have the opportunity to go and enjoy this world with more interactions with characters honestly i'm all for it so at whatever it comes out which it seems will probably be at some point next year i'm definitely excited so even though there's not a lot of talked about, at the very least I want to give my initial impressions on the five shows that I am watching this season. So, uh, Zombie 100, Bucket List of the Dead, incredibly entertaining. How they were able to cram so much character building and setup and payoff and really get you into the mindset of our main character. The fact that they were able to still do that over the course of just 20 minutes 
was legitimately incredible. I can't wait till episode two comes out and I'm able to go through and listen to the opening as well as the visuals that accompany it because at this point it had probably the best first episode of the five that I've watched. But I mean, besides that, uh, sequel-wise, we end up getting another season of Horamiya, which even though the first season jumped all the way to the end of the manga by the time that it was released to it's like, hey, guess what? The characters are graduating. They're still going to be a couple. They're going to be still in their relationship moving forward, regardless if they go through either to university or if they stay at home and they can consistently work at the job that they were leading beforehand. All we know is that they're still going to end up together and that's going to be a-okay. But because of the way that they ended up doing that, there was so much other content that was cut in between points A and B that they could just make what they call aptly a missing pieces sort of deal to go through a handful of other stories that happened in the middle of the manga that it was adapting. So at the start, the first two episodes that have come out have just gotten me back into these characters uh, exceptionally well. I remember having a really good time with them, although it just definitely seems like all of the other relationships and the characters and the dynamics outside of the main two don't really hit as hard. It's mostly the friendships that the main two characters have that keeps the entire group going in together. And so at the very least, I would like to see a little bit more conflict interactions between the main two and kind of see how their relationship was built up and built down and everywhere all across. But at this point in time, I'm still really enjoying the time with these characters since we didn't necessarily get a lot of time with them previously, and at the very least, it's an enjoyable watch that comes around every week. Now for the two shonen pieces, we have a classic shonen sequel in the form of the second core of Bleach's Thousand Blood Bleach's Thousand Year Blood War arc, and it's still just as cliche and uh, crazy and off the walls as I remember Bleach being, especially in the most recent episode where it was just our king gave us one order, and one order alone, to quickly exterminate every threat. Now, would you mind if I just go and sit over here and monologue at you while the rest of the stuff happens on in the background? It's like, no, I I'm gonna take my time. I was told I had to rush, but fuck that, I'm, I'm not gonna listen to him. I'm just gonna take my sweet-ass time leaning up against this pillar and just berate you at how shit the Soul Society is. So, yeah, I get fucked. Um, <laughs> it's just, so a lot of just really odd dichotomies. Bleach as the first couple of episodes have gone by, it's it's presentation and it's battle formula is very simple where it's just kind of like, hey, bad guys show up, here are the good guys, the bad guys show off their techniques, and then the good guys who were on the back foot initially surprise them with their new techniques, who then get thrown on their second foot again when the bad guys power up to another form to push them even further into a corner because they don't necessarily have a third foot or at least most of them don't i'm pretty sure there's one character that has a tail but that's beside the point it, and it just continuously just goes like back and forth and it's almost like every other battle that gets incorporated and so like most we are just waiting for ichigo to get onto the field of battle and we're just going to be curious to see how many people get bodied and which in this case is like nobody's going to die Probably one of them for the sake of the plot, but outside of that, you're not necessarily going to have to worry about many of the characters that you're going to be seeing, like, taking the big L, or in this case, the big AFK, considering that they're, <laughs> they all died twice. Uh, it's just, yeah, I'm kind of curious, because it's the spectacle, especially with the ones and the battles that they were able to give us in the first core of this new season, years and years and years after the initial anime ended, it was the spectacle itself was a sight to behold and especially gave it a ridiculously 
triumphant welcome back, even in the midst of all of the modern shonen that are coming out nowadays. Speaking of which, uh, Jujutsu Kaisen Season 2, which is also going a little bit back in time, considering that it seems like we're going to be getting Gojo and all of his buddies when they were going back at uh, Jujutsu High and how the majority of those events are going to be played out and how they all went their separate ways and how Gojo became just Gojo. <laughs> how Like how he became the essential modern god that he is in the middle of all of his essence and presence on screen. And so it's just been really fun with the initial like sets coming back. Whereas in this case, it's not Sunyum Park that ended up directing the first season, but one of the other storyboarder episode directors and key animation pieces for the previous uh, Jujutsu Kaisen season. So even though we don't necessarily have the main key player who was at least the face of a lot of the fights that were going through, we have somebody who was still very deep inside the production process and has a really good feel on how the majority of this series and especially how the first one went. So even though it's not the main guy, we still have somebody who is very deep into the collaboration process between the last one. So with the first two episodes that I've seen, I definitely trust them. And then a show that I wasn't really expecting that I was going to even watch at all until it ended up leading up because of specifically who's directing it as well is Undead Girl Murder Farce, which off the top of the head has probably one of the blackest English titles that you could imagine through any of the shows this season. But considering it is directed by Shinichi Omada, who was the one who ended up directing not only Rakugo Shinju, but also all of Kaguya Love is War. The fact that these are his first two entries, and he's going to be leading into something specifically, though, that is a novel adaptation instead of a manga. So that really gives him a lot more ideas and pieces to toil with, especially whenever it comes to the visual presentation of what the series is going for. Because now, instead of having at least a basic storyboard to go off of in the form of a manga, this one you get to have so much more freedom to kind of twist the scenarios and the settings that you have with all the stories that become involved inside this, considering that I would say the first episode is definitely not the strongest one. You get character introductions, you get a fight, you get bits and pieces of information inside of a modern supernatural version of Japan and Europe that is going to what seemed like that is going to be what is seeming like a Sherlockian style mystery of the week sort of deal considering that we've already jumped from Japan all the way over to Europe in the span of two episodes and we're curious to see how the majority of the mysteries are going to be unraveling and how much of this I'm actually curious about which is going to be leading into if they are going to go through the entire set of novels over the span of 13 episodes, or is it going to be something that is going to have to consistently be made with another additional season that's going to have to follow at some point in the future? But at least what they're given, which is probably a smart thing to do, especially through this, is that we get the initial meeting between our two main characters, Suguru and Aya, and they have a really good riposte and conversation back and forth, considering that well, Aya is, she is a spirit as well, a yokai as well. But what brought her to this scenario specifically is something that is going to be relating to our main boy. And why she needs his help is going to be something that's going to be really, is, incre is an incredibly simple way to bring these two together, but then leads into something like, okay, so do they immediately trust each other? 
they are able to do a lengthy time skip, at least into the future. But because of that, we already go through all of the specific character drama and connections and the like to just be like, oh yeah, no, these see these two seem to have a good connection initially, and they've had a lot of time together to go through and iron out their dialogue and their confrontations, and they just seem like a really good, in this case, trio of characters that have like got their repertoires all in check and that they've already like done a decent amount of time becoming good friends and a a lot of good banter and a lot of good back and forth between them just like the best so yeah at this point in time i'm curious to see how this is going to go about i don't know if i would call it a sleeper hit considering that the director of this is definitely already bringing more than enough publicity to the show itself but honestly the more that it can get the better because the first two episodes have definitely done a good enough job to get me invested in these characters So now moving forward to today's topic in particular is that I've done a similar episode way back in the past about essentially what my uh, history as an anime fan was, but that history is influenced so much by the creatives and the YouTubers and the podcasters and the people that have essentially gone through to make this medium have such an inclusive and welcoming base that even though there are so many anime out now, so many things that in the past 20 years, the amount of shows that have gone through to, you know, add more things to the list in terms of different genres inside of it, different recommendations for different people, different franchises, just everything that has gone through, because of the people that have been involved inside of this medium and have loved it for a lot longer than I have, they were able to bridge the gap and open a path to newcomers such as myself back when I was getting into it in the early 2010s. So at least the episode that I want to do today focuses on a lot of the people that I ended up growing up with and watching within the sphere of YouTube, Spotify, Apple Music, basically everything around that to essentially give you a little bit more info on how I was going step by step with the majority of these creators and how they have influenced me as well as the shows that I watch as well. So I guess if there was any better way to start, it was that when I was getting into YouTube, I was already into YouTube or more, uh, before the time that I was getting into anime. And so when I ended up watching my first couple of shows, it ended up pointing me toward the direction of Funimation's YouTube website for me to watch specific shows that were already there on their YouTube channel, because at that point, you could upload the entire season of specific shows that you owned, and because they had that license and distribution, and YouTube was not cracking down too much on that, you could watch an entire series on YouTube, but not (laughs) in a way that you would expect, considering that the ones that were underneath Funimation's umbrella, you didn't have to go to, say, Naruto episode 211, parts 1, parts 2, and parts 3 in Espanol. It was something that was seemed a lot more legit, at the time, and something that you could actually easily get into, especially considering that it was YouTube and you didn't have to worry too much about finding it. And so those initial episodes pointed me towards AMVs of the shows that I was watching, and those AMVs in particular ended up getting me into top 10s online, where it was like top 10 anime deaths, top 10 anime fights, top 10 sexiest characters, top 10 couples, top 10 spookiest and, you know, most malicious people, like especially in the top 10 villains. And in this case, it ended up pointing me towards the direction of Gigguk's top 20 coolest anime characters. (coughs) And so I was towards the end of that project when he put that out. 
And after watching all of this stuff, it was very easy for me to go into his back catalog and start watching his stuff around May of 2012, I believe, was when I got into him. And so it was really fun to have that opportunity for somebody to recommend me these different shows for ones that I had never watched. Because, yes, in the 90s and the 2000s, you could torrent stuff, you could download it. It was essentially a couple of things that you could go through and say, hey, to be a true anime fan, you've got to like watch these 30 shows. Or these. It was a lot simpler and a lot more... Um, condensed back then, but it was also a little bit inclusive because it's like, oh man, you you haven't watched this 300 episode Shonen show? Oh, you haven't watched like this classic that is only either available on VHS or like specifically downloaded off of a site that you don't even know if you're going to be getting viruses from? God, tough luck, man. And so having those opportunities to go through and point me in the right direction, uh, Gigak or Garnt in this case did a really good job at, in the initial ways of welcoming me into the community. Besides him, there was also a random guy, which was also like, okay, I found Garnt, but I wanted to find a couple more people to kind of get me into a couple more shows. And I think Shadow ACS was another guy, which the reviews were fine. They weren't as good, but he still got me into watching a couple of shows. But in general, not a lot of the ones that he gave were good recommendations. Because it was also the same deal. He also had a couple of top 10s and top 20s on his channel, but it was never necessarily something that would be able to go through and point me in a direction that I thought would have been a good place to go initially. And I, for the first time in years, I ended up checking on his channel, and it was up until about a year ago he was still making content. So to be fair, I mean, good on him. But in the middle of that initial anime YouTuber search, it ended pointing me in the direction of, say, Holden Reviews and... Arcada, also known as Glass Reflection, also known as GR Anime Reviews. And so this would have been around July of that same year, and it was a really initial, or, or at least it was a good starting point for me to go through and have enough people to give me enough recommendations, because at that time, I didn't really tell anybody in high school that I was watching it, because I knew that there was at least some kind of stigma towards anything related to like video games or media and as that stigma was slowly being peeled back there was still a part of me that was just kind of like oh this stuff really does look weird most of the time it's like it's in japanese and it's like oh boy i mean sure at that time i still hadn't put two to two together where it's like dude everybody watched pokemon everybody watched digimon there were so many other pieces that people had watched where it was just localized anime and you would never necessarily put those two pieces together it's like yeah well no just i'll, I'll keep it on the down low but it was in that summer, I believe it would have been August of 2012, when it was Arcada, Holden Reviews, Disturbed Genes, and Gigguk all ended up collaborating to make the first well-known, I guess, because there had been more than enough people on their own web domains, news outlets, and other pieces that had made other podcasts before. But for me, the first anime podcast that I listened to would have been them back in the days of Podtaku. And to top that all off, you ended up having other pieces like Jtaku that ended up joining up around a year later, around September of 13, where you had people like Jimmy and Alan, and you had the Mentaku, the Femtaku, you had the different hentai recommendations, you had the best kind of pieces for either sci-fi, or talking about Evangelion, or arguments between the rest of the crew on why this show is good or absolute shit. And <laughs> I think that was one of the initial memes that they ended up cultivating in the middle of this channel. It's shit. And so to have something like that to jump in, to have at least, like, at that point, one review a week, 
to go through and add things to my backlog. It was a really nice piece to give me an opportunity to get more and more shows under my belt. And after going to uni in September of 2013, the first YouTuber that ended up uh, going through in the midst of that would have been Demolition D, Douchebag Chocolate, and it was, he's still probably one of the best anti-tubers to date, especially in the middle of the wild, wild west of YouTube at the time, before the apocalypse, before the rest of it. It was quite the jump, especially with the kind of raunchy and janky comedy that he ended up using inside of his videos, but he was the trendsetter on how most of those things were able to go through. I can't remember if he specifically was the one that popularized the seasonal anime impressions, but he was probably not the first one, but he was the one to perfect it in that time. And close after that, uh, ended up getting into Digibro a year later, around the time that he ended up putting out his video on what it takes to make good anime, which in this case was funding for the most part. And so there were still quite a few people that ended up going through and having good recommendations towards that. I understood that that was the first time I ended up realizing what a Brody was, considering that he was way, he was back in that fandom before he ended up turning into an anime connoisseur, I guess, which was the rest of it. And leading into after that, probably the final major one that I ended up getting towards 2015, back in April, would have been Jeff Thru, Professional Shitbag, and Mother's Basement, with the majority of his series surrounding what's in an OP. And that was kind of the beginning of how. You could just do basic anime reviews. Here's the plot. Here's the synopsis. Here are my personal impressions on it. Uh, this is the score. I'm going to give it a 7 out of 10. And to say whether or not you want to go and recommend or give that another watch, that was just kind of the basic formula that a lot of them had gone by. And with those three people, they were the beginning of giving me the opportunity to see what analysis reviews could probably be. This is, okay, this is what they're doing, but this is why it works so well and what makes these anime so different. And so it got me invested to try and think about the opportunities of why these shows were so good in the first place and to understand why I thought about that at all. And around the summer of 2015, that was the first time that, well, beforehand I was you know, still going through a lot of basic jobs. I did end up becoming a dish pit guy at one of my local restaurants because a friend of mine was a uh, line cook down there. And I ended up doing that until I got propositioned by a friend of ours that was also doing basic chip integration down at a tech center uh, around close to where I lived. And at that point, it wasn't the toughest work, but it was a lot of waiting. And so I had to figure out other ways besides Podtaku and Jtaku and just listen to other things at an extended period of time to give me something to listen to and read up on and kind of just absorb any other piece of info in a lot of, in a lot of the downtime that I ended up having back in the day. So around the summer of 2015 was when I really started getting in the podcasts. Anime World Order, which, like I said before, had a domain, and they had been doing podcasting work way before Potaku and most of their crew had been doing, but it was something that I was going through, and at that point, I believe I was getting a Spotify account, so that gave me more opportunities to download a lot of the stuff on their backlog and then just play it at work, so it was a really good piece. They ended up having one of the writers from Otaku USA basically going through and becoming a part of this trio who would be going through 
anime from the 70s and the 80s and the 90s, so something that was not looked too much into by a lot of the other people that I've been watching on AnyTube. So it gave me an opportunity to go through and read up and learn about all of these classic anime that I had never thought about and none had ever crossed my mind to even go back that far. And I believe it was at Anime Revolution 2015 where there was another podcast that I ended up jumping into as well, which was Zan in Canada, which was an anime podcast specifically related around anime that had some sort of influence or relation to the Canadian anime sphere. So whether it was dubs in French or it was filmed in filmed and animated in Canada or had some major relation to either Nelvana or any of the distribution companies leading up, especially when it came to the Saturday morning cartoon blocks with a lot of the localized stuff that was going into it. Specifically, uh, he was talking about one of the Sailor Moon cuts that was going through and was like, well, Canada ended up getting the next bunch of Sailor Moon episodes before the U.S. did because there was this, you know, consistent politically, political and religiously, like, viewed really bad case on, like, what essentially the anime, specifically the shoujo anime, were displaying at the time, and they didn't necessarily want any of that to go through. So Canada ended up getting the last half of Sailor Moon before the U.S. did, and it took quite a good amount of people and a lot of backlash to just say, hey, look, we want this, and it's good stuff, and it is a good show, and they want to go back and see it. So giving me the opportunity to see the perspective of somebody who was reading this and watching these kinds of events unfold for anime that I was alive at the time, but had no idea the extent of what their impact was on the entire cultural sphere inside of North America as we knew it. So it was a really good opportunity for me to go back and kind of see what these experiences were like from a much more well-informed perspective. And around that time, uh, since I was going through uh, the R anime subreddit at the time, uh, they ended up starting doing their own podcasting stuff. And it was like, oh shit, so the R anime podcast, uh, I jumped into back, I believe it was June of 2016, and that was another piece that they were able to go through. And a couple of the, I can't remember if they were mods or if they were just people inside of it having a lot of conversation around the community itself, and they just wanted to have an opportunity to go through and have more reasons to talk about whatever shows that they were enjoying at the time. And this would, this would have still been a lot more modern, would have been much more recent, so any show that was mostly in the 2010s was ones that they would be able to go through because they were the most topical. But there were times that they would go through and back. There were times where they would go through and look back on shows that were a little earlier, especially with one of their some of their informative childhood stuff that were back in the 2000s, but that was beside the point. The second... YouTuber crossover podcast that I ended up watching at that point afterwards would have been the Weebcast. And so the Weebcast just had a couple of people that I had already been watching for years at this case, which would have been Mother's Basement and Digibro. But in this case, they ended up getting me into other anti-tubers that I hadn't seen before, which in this case would have just been related to the Canapa effect, Best Guy Ever, Subsonic Sparkle, just all of these other people that I'd never heard of before, but because they were in the presence of these larger tubers that they were able to go through and give their own opinions and give us another chance to go through and look at it from a different lens. Also, this had a lot more, it, it had the same amount of banter as I thought with uh, the previous Podtaku stuff, where there was a lot of back and forth, there was a lot of good like, like, dude, your taste shit, like, what the fuck are you talking about? So it was just, like, a lot of good friends going back and forth between the rest of the crew and just, like, having a good time doing it. 
And then it wasn't until about a year later where I would go through and start listening to other anime podcasts as well. This one would have been more related to AWO, considering that they were a part of the Anime News Network website, which had their own internal podcast as well, which was just simply called The Ancast, uh, with the late, great Zach Birchie. And another one of the people who were one of the hosts was uh, Jacob Chapman, who previously, I guess now that I think about it, um, I was watching a lot of Jacob's reviews way back on thatguywiththeglasses.com when they were Jason Otaku, and it was the same deal. They had a top 25, I believe, anime of all time from their list, and that ended up pointing me in th into the direction of their channel because at the time I was watching Angry Video Game Nerd, I was watching That Guy With The Glasses and The Nostalgia Critic, and the fact that they were on that website as well was just kind of like, oh shit, that's like a Diamond and Rust sort of deal where I didn't realize that they were also a part of this community as well. So it was just a perfect branch and jumping off point to see whenever Jason Otaku would be uploading something, it would be in relation to the Nostalgia Critic and they would mostly be a co-host on this podcast as well. So that was also a phenomenal piece to go. And now that I think about it, a much earlier rendition of a couple of the not necessarily anti-tubers but just anime reviewers in general that i was watching back in the time outside of that not related to anime news network though but this would have also been out of rooster teeth and this would have been years into their animation department considering that they had already done about four seasons or so of ruby and they've like done over a dozen seasons of red versus blue at that time but they had a anime podcast called fan service and for better or worse, it was like Cole was one of the Genesis like pieces of this, considering that he had the shittiest reviews and recommendations that anybody would have been getting. It didn't he didn't necessarily have the best shows to recommend, and then he also explained them purposely purposefully bad, and so it was just painful to listen to him consistently that whenever he was going to recommend anything on screen, it would just be such a ridiculously long five to ten minute stretch that he would just always on purpose describe these things so poorly and thankfully it just wasn't me because almost everybody else at the table was completely and utterly like fucking over his shit although anime telephone for jojo's bizarre adventure part one is probably one of the best joint anime review pieces that i have seen period considering that somebody ended up uploading an hour and a half long supercut of all of the specific parts of that throughout the course of their run because they didn't really stick around for too long. I don't even think they lasted for a year and a half because I don't think they were getting the numbers that they would have expected and it was just too much to add at that point. Although they were still easily one of the best anime podcasts and just programs that I was listening to at the time. So it was just a real tragedy to see them go just almost unceremoniously at the time. And I wouldn't be getting into listening to a new anime podcast another until about three years down the line in the middle of the pandemic when as the most popular one to this date Gart, joey the anime man and connor c dog va they created trash taste in june of 2020 in the midst of the pandemic to this day i've been watching them and listening to them ever since and they still are doing a really good job even though the majority of the programs that they do nowadays rarely talk about anime but to be fair the what they've been able to accomplish over these past three years has been nothing so short of stellar and the fact that they've been able to keep this going through this point with a consistent amount of quality through the rest of it regardless of which at this point in time it's mostly just a weekly topical podcast rather than something that is anime related but i'd say they're still doing a pretty good job regardless and they've been doing pretty decently and I guess I'll quickly shout out Just Weebs because they are made of, 
at least one of the members or one of the regular members from the RMA podcast, which around that time transitioned into the Tokyo Podfathers podcast with a rotating set of co-hosts, but I believe it was either Mozilla Fennekin or Colonel Panic that would be like a consistent piece in the middle of these productions, but they're still going strong. Really do appreciate that they are still able to at least make this at least once a month and get the majority of the content out, and regardless, seeing just weebs kind of do that, but they only lasted about a year for me, and it's been a while since I've seen them jump back into any of their content, so at this point it's dead, but to be fair... It was good enough to see Shocking, who honestly, she was one of the better hosts on the podcast, to go through and have her take the opportunity to be one of the co-hosts every episode that they made. So I guess moving on after that, it was more of a transition into a lot more analytical anime reviews and pieces of content, considering that after this, it was the apocalypse. There was only so much you can do in terms of a specific amount of comedy, and to restrict the comedy that you had, even though I would understand nowadays it would be really uh, racing JP to that point, it was just that now you would have to go through and focus a little bit more on something that was not particularly related to comedy, which gave birth to a lot of high-grade anime analysis content. And that, to me, started with Pause and Select back in April of 2016. And so they've done a lot of good pieces and reviews and looks into specific pieces of psychology, as well as how different pieces inside the anime medium have changed, what a specific show meant for the time that it was released, and how exactly that past has come to shape the future of the anime sphere itself. And consistently, it was able to go through and... They were long, but incredibly well-informed, especially with the studies that they were able to go through and the guests that they were able to bring onto their channel. And I was really glad to be able to finally meet the guy last summer at Anime North. So it was a really good opportunity to, and a really good intro to a lot of this specific analysis co content that I had rarely seen and was thankfully getting into. Episodes that started getting longer and longer, especially with something getting to the hour-long mark, um, Super Eyepatch Wolf was in the same year, uh, back in 2016, and they had quite a bit of content where, to me, looking back on most of these reviewers, unless it was something big like a best anime of the year or something that was related to either OPs or shows or something in a specific genre... Super Hot Patch Wolf was consistently putting out long-form analytical content that would give you a really good in-depth look into a specific franchise, show, or part of the industry that some people hadn't necessarily gone into because it was an incredibly daunting thing. I mean, to be fair, the one that ended up catching my eye after I ended up finally finishing Hunter Hunter's 2011 run for the first time was one of his best videos. And I continue to watch, like, I would say 99% of the creators inside of this episode, I'm still watching all of them to this day. And so it's been really interesting to see how the majority of their content has evolved and seeing Super Eye Patch Wolf branch into other topics outside of anime that brings him a lot more joy is something that I'm glad to have seen him go through as well as just transition into those specific points. Somebody, I, it's, it's just been so long because I understand that he's probably gone and gotten himself a better job or it's like moving or he ended up moving to someplace and it was tough to get the channel back together 
or it's just that he has had barely any time, especially with YouTube nowadays not necessarily being a good platform in the modern era to post all of your stuff. For a time, probably about two to three years or so, Baron J was a decent short-form anime creative and content that I was able to go through and watch every now and again. Probably because he had the best voice out of any of the anti-tubers that I had been watching Nowadays, his mic quality was stellar, and the cadence that he was able to speak with, especially with how he was able to condense his voice into something that was not necessarily monotone, but deep and soothing, and it drew you into whatever topic that he was going to be talking about. So, he hasn't necessarily been putting a lot of content out as of late, but for the time that he was putting out a lot of stuff, because he was probably in the middle of the adpocalypse when he was starting to get going, so that was definitely a tragic piece of uh, time for him, but... Uh, what can you do? And consider, well, outside of that, one of the guys that I ended up going through, who I believe Baron J was a part of, at least for an episode of the Weebcast, that would have also been with Best Guy Ever, uh, in the middle of April 2017, where he started going through, and the first episode of his that I watched, I mean, the piece of content of his that I ended up going through was the uh, Please Tell Me Gonkoshan, where he basically was able to create a review of this short-form comedy series that had a lot of heart and a lot of passion put behind it and turn it into an allegory to just be more accepting of the weirdos leading into whatever kind of fandom that they were in, regardless if it was anime or sports or makeup or fashion or anything. Everybody's weird, so just cut them a little bit of slack, especially around the late 2010s when anime was just becoming a little bit more mainstream, especially after the success of Your Name and how the worldwide phenomenon that that was, which gave a little bit more of a spotlight. We were getting more and more investors into different anime streaming services and different companies and different platforms that you would have been able to go through and watch anime on. And what had to be a torrented piece at the time was becoming more and more cost-efficient to just go and support the people who were creating the stuff in the first place. And so it was really good to see that kind of video be the one that springboarded Best Guy Ever into the piece that he was able to go through and create, and it was, yeah, it was just a really good time to get into that. Um, in terms of other anime analysis, you also had Explanation Point, which had a really good job. I believe the first couple of videos of his that I ended up going through watching was his analysis on the SAO Bridge series, which was an which was a hilarious turnaround in hindsight from those first 24 episodes of SAO and having them be able to turn it into something that legitimately had a reason for the characters to not be perfect, but to be such in just such pieces of shit and imperfect beings just by changing the dialogue and not the major events that happen inside of the story was just nothing short of genius. And so seeing how Explanation Point was able to go through and dissect it even further was an easy enough way for me to get into his content and to start watching him more and more uh, as the summer went by towards 2017. As well as seeing a bit more pieces into more of the anime industry as a whole rather than the shows, what got me more into looking at the production stuff behind the scenes was definitely the Canapa effect and how they were able to go through and give us either figures on why an anime was either selling well or why it was doing poorly, why specific anime are made in the first place, what are the production side of things, what are the priorities, how essentially they're able to get specific 
people to do specific shows and why specific studios operate the way that they do, it was a good intro for me to go and actually have the opportunity to see what was more of a peek behind the curtain as to how the industry itself exists, because as it was going on, more and more pieces uh, were trying to pop up, especially when I was getting into the Canapa FX reviews or videos on top of that, was the fact that the anime industry and animation industry as a whole is just a fucking shit place to work. And it is in the deepest pits of hell, depending on the amount of overtime and the amount of work that you have to do to even get this project out the door, especially when it comes to an anime series when you have to do at least 12 of these consistently over the course of three months. So it was definitely something that was a big eye-opener to give more respect to the people behind the works that I was watching. And I'm definitely glad that at least there I was able to have somebody open my eyes to that point. But then more into the same deal of getting into anime analysis, uh, replay value was good considering that for the first time I had seen somebody give Hyoka the respect it deserves for being a directorial powerhouse as well as just honestly, I still think it's Kyoto Animation's like best looking show to date. Maybe not their best work overall, but it's probably my favorite and it still goes through and Compared to a lot of high school romp shows that are coming out nowadays, I still think Hyoka like, stands the test of time towards the rest of it, and seeing replay value give that show the respect that it deserved was definitely like a nice way to give me an introduction towards them, and then leading on to probably one of their best pieces, which I haven't seen in a while, but understandably so, because I would imagine how much time it actually takes to get these shows going with uh, Anime Jeopardy as he hosts it on a sort of month-by-month basis, but yeah, no, replay value, still watch to this day, still a fan of the Discord, everybody around there definitely deserves a round of applause for the productions that they were able to make, and honestly, with the reviews that he was able to go through and create was still more than enough of a reason for me to get into the guy. And then to top that all off, in about the same month, this would have been around February 2018, would have been when I started watching Beyond Ghibli, which would have been incredibly simple because it was around that time that I was looking over to Makoto Shinkai films, especially with Weathering With You on the way, as it was already announced, but it was kind of that thing where he also ended up giving a lot of recommendations underneath Shinkai's catalog. And then to move forward beyond that, I started doing more and more reviews on other shows, other films, and just doing a really good job, same deal, phenomenal audio quality, phenomenal narration, a ridiculously well put together script. They Every single time that they put out a video, it is something that is really relaxing and comforting every single time I see it pop up in my feed. So at this point, I would probably put them near the top of the ones that I watched today, but yeah, not so much. Totally worth it. Uh, and yeah, that was, it's it's really... There's not so much after that. I mean, in the era of quarantine, the only two other people that I ended up starting to watch that made stuff related to anime content, uh, the first one would have been Bonsai Pop. They're still making good content nowadays. They're still making, you know, racy jabs at, you know, YouTube and every other platform. And they don't shy away from talking about really controversial topics which is why their Patreon is the thing that they always point towards somebody. They rarely get over 100,000 views, which is why they're able to go through and make this a their job, thankfully just because of their patrons. 
And so I've gone through a couple of their reviews as well, where they do a really good job for kind of, not necessarily classics, but their, most of their reviews focus on manga adaptations and how the manga itself was able to make an impact at the time that it was drawn, fast forwarding to the point where they all ended up getting adapted and how things have changed and how they were able to go through and grade the adaptation on that front, as well as just the quality of the story that it was telling. And it was a good kind of nook for me to find for... It, it, it's not necessarily underpopular shows. There were still a lot of pieces that they were able to go through and talk about of things that essentially got them into the medium as a whole, but things that were much more popular in the 90s and 2000s, but have never just stood the test of time now that we're here in the modern day. Topping it all off, I know that they're not an anime-specific uh, YouTube channel, but I would be lying if I would say probably the best reviewer today on YouTube's platform currently goes to Breadsword currently goes to Breadsword, and it's not even close. It's, for me, what Breadsword is able to do is that regardless of what he's reviewing, he always injects it with a passion and a personal connection to every other piece or medium or show or film or short that he's reviewing, and does so with an immaculate amount of heart. And so even though they've only done less than a handful of anime reviews, specifically Garen Lagan, Tokyo Godfathers, and then very recently uh, they ended up doing an hour-plus review on Hayao Miyazaki's Castle of Cagliostro. And it does just a phenomenal job at explaining... He, do he does go off the rails just a bit, especially when a good chunk of that he just starts delving into every single car and plane and piece of machinery that was inside uh, the castle of Cagliostro and why it, per it is so important and how it pertains to the characters and the plot itself. It was just a phenomenal look into what they believe is important and what they're passionate about, specifically when they are doing anime itself. I mean, it's been years, well, years, I guess, because, man, I I've been watching it for three years and it's, I don't think they've, like, had a miss yet. It's, like, the Garen Lagan review, I remember being just so touched and, like, on the verge of tears for it, considering what kind of personal connection he relates Garen Lagan to inside of his own life. And it's definitely probably one of his best reviews and one that I would recommend, even though it's been a while since I've done it. Any of his anime reviews are just phenomenal, where, I mean, he did a short-form piece on Tokyo Godfathers. Sure, the Grand Lagan one is, like, seven hour, but just... If there's anybody related to anime inside of this, I would definitely, give, like, give Breadsword the top priority for anybody looking for any new content creators to go through and support and give a watch. And, I mean, outside of that... Hmm. I'm not necessarily going to rank everybody on this but if i had to nowadays say like what is my favorite one to listen to it like it's incredibly difficult i mean overall fan service was probably my favorite but they're already they've already been retired i guess i'm excited whenever awo goes through because i don't necessarily know what they're going to talk about because it could either be something from the 70s or it could be something that was literally airing two months ago so i do kind of like that 
And then probably outside of Breadsword, I mean, the ones that I would definitely give a huge recommendation towards would probably still be, considering the quality of the content that they still put out today, would definitely go towards Super Eyepatch Wolf, and then probably Beyond Ghibli as well. I mean, I still do love everybody inside of Trash Taste and Pataku. I mean, I will admit that definitely Giguk, for being the one that I have watched and listened to the longest, does get a little bit of a priority, and they're still making good content today, but it's, but they're definitely somebody who, at this point, everybody has heard. He is not a voice in a, he is not a small voice in a small pond. He is now the biggest voice in the biggest ocean of anime curated content inside of the internet in general. But still, there are so many other people that can go through, and who knows, even tomorrow, you might be able to find somebody else new that you'll be listening to and watching in with bated breath for years to come. Cheers. Have a good one.